Hi everyone, welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm Ashwarya, your host for this episode. And I'm Aryan. Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Patreon and subscribe for amazing exclusive features like merch, awesome extra episodes, early access episodes like this one, video calls with us and more. To help the podcast out and to avail these benefits, go to www.patreon.com slash desicrime and select a tier that works best for you. And if you're already a patron, listening to this episode as part of your early access, thank you for helping us run this podcast. The case that we have for you today is one that's tough to wrap your brain around. It appeals to a very human part of us that likes to watch the suffering of those who cause us harm. But it also begs the question, whose job is it to enforce law? What if the people with this responsibility fail us over and over again? This is the story that has taken Bangladesh and the world by storm. This is the story of Hercules, the vigilante serial killer. Before we start this episode, I want to thank some of our newest patrons. A huge thank you to Vikram Shinoy, Rita Ghosh, Ravi Teja, Tejal Patil, Munisha Ramesh, Anu Sansi and Vivek Bharti. A special shout out to Charles, our first and only $1.50 patron who got the chance to request an episode from us and this episode for today is the one he's chosen. This Charles is for you. We hope you like it. So all of you, this is our second ever episode from Bangladesh and our Bangladeshi listeners have been absolutely delightful when it comes to helping out. And while I'm sure that everyone really liked the Sagar Sarovar and Mehrun Rooney murder episode, this one is obviously a very different case, perhaps different than any other we have ever covered so far, from at least what I know of the case, Ashwarya. Before we start this case, Ashwarya, tell us a little about who and what a vigilante killer is. Aran, to think that this actually happened in Bangladesh is crazy to me. It feels right out of a movie. But you're right. Before we get into what happened, let's talk a little about what or who a vigilante killer is. Because it's definitely not the kind of thing you hear regularly on your local news channel. So a vigilante is essentially a person that takes the law of their community, of their town for example, into their own hand without legal authority. So what they're doing is illegal, they have no right to enforce law, but usually vigilantism increases when local law enforcement bodies fail the people. So basically they're like Robin Hood, but murderer version. Just to give you all an example of a very famous vigilante killer, an American man named Stephen Marshall was one. In 2011, Marshall bought an AR-15 rifle and went to the state of Maine in the US where he murdered 29 of the 34 officially listed sex offenders, including many pedophiles. Now let's go to Bangladesh in 2019 when something very peculiar starts happening in Dhaka. 
On January 14th of 2019, a madrasa student, a madrasa being essentially a religious school in Islam, is walking from school to her grandparents' house in Bhandaria. This girl's identity hasn't been revealed by newspapers to protect her, I assume. On her way home, two men are following her, but this 19-year-old girl has no idea. One of the men is 28-year-old Sajal Jamadar and the other is 20-year-old Raqib Hussain. Lurking in the shadows, the two men know they have to attack her before she reaches close to her grandparents' house. And that's exactly what they do. The men kidnap her and forcefully carry her into an isolated corner nearby and rape her before letting her go. The state of affairs, unfortunately, in South Asia are so botched up in countries like Bangladesh, India and Pakistan that the moment you said the rape victim was let go, I, for some reason, gasped a sigh of relief. This just shows how low the threshold, how low the barometer is set for empathy in South Asia for rape victims. Aryan, but not only is this girl alive, she remembers the faces of the men Mm. and has it in her to fight this out officially and make sure she gets justice. She immediately tells her parents what happened, something that can come with a lot of stigma and shame attached to it. And she and her parents together decide that they'll put faith in their legal system to fight this case out. The family files a case against Sajal and Rakib and the police begin investigating. However, the moment the investigation begins, the alleged rapists disappear. Their families don't know where they are, their friends don't know where they are, their phones are switched off and nobody sees them alive after that. But obviously, this 19-year-old and her family are not the only ones fighting a case like this at this exact time. In fact, just a week before this girl was raped, in the early morning hours of January 7th, a 14-year-old girl who is a garment factory worker is found dead in her house in Ashulia on the outskirts of Dhaka just a day after she had filed a case against her rapists. Four men, one of them a man named Ripon. It is obvious to the family and to the community around them that killing the girl was a way of silencing her, stopping her from becoming a witness against the four men who had gang-raped her. After her daughter's death, her father filed another complaint against Ripon and the three other men and did not give up hope. Ishar, I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but my mom is a lawyer and she works at a high court in Uttar Pradesh. She's told me innumerable instances when rapists were given, were told to show up to the court maybe for a day, but granted a bail within 48 hours of being reported. And this happens on and on. So in a sad way, it's heartwarming to see the families at least put faith into the justice system and try to fight it out using the legal tools at their disposal. At least when you know there is a chance your legal system might fail you, It can be incredibly tough to take that first step and put your hurt and loss for the cops and lawyers to scrutinize. Absolutely. I think in my own life, when I've been inappropriately touched or harassed, my reaction and usually my parents' reaction is to not go to the cops and try to settle the situation on our own. Perhaps by, for example, getting the person fired from their job, by filing a complaint with their employer or something like that. The cops can themselves be very ill-willed. They can ask for unnecessary details about where you were touched and how you were touched to make a scene on purpose and embarrass the woman. So I have a lot of respect for the courage that these families have showed. Absolutely. 
in the midst of our discussion about these two women and their stories it's very important to put bangladesh's rape and sexual assault situation into context for example the harvard international review revealed that from january to september 2020 men raped more than 1000 women a number commonly accepted to be widely underreported 43 of those 1000 women died To make matters worse, this year's statistics show that 2021 has already marked a worse year for Bangladeshi women than the past 4 years combined. Due to the soaring rate of rape cases in Bangladesh, the United Nations has recently expressed serious concerns and has firmly recommended the country to reform its sluggish, lax criminal justice system. Given these events on October 13th 2020 the government of the country introduced capital punishment against rape in the place of the existing life term imprisonment so it's clear that the two women we mentioned above are not isolated cases they are common and the system does very little to protect women effectively why it's important to establish the failure of the system is because that is what gives rise to a vigilante killer a killer who named himself Hercules On January 17th at around 2 p.m. in Amin model town in Savar a police patrol car finds the body of a clearly middle-aged man on the side of the road It's clear that the man has been killed it's not a natural death and it's clear that whoever killed this man did not put any effort into hiding the body The body is left out on the side of the street barely covered by shrubs or trees It's also clear from the get-go that this man has been shot in the head from close range since the single bullet wound looks recent and obvious. According to the Dhaka Tribune, the cops quickly notice something very weird about the body. The body has around its neck hanging a placard with a note in Bengali undersigned by someone named Hercules. The note read, quote, I am Repon. I am the prime suspect in the rape of blank this is my punishment end quote the cops quickly take the body for an autopsy which confirms the identity as that of 39 year old rapist of the 14 year old garment factory worker who was raped and also killed the cause of death is quickly determined to be the gunshot wound in the neck as the cops begin an investigation into the death especially since the note around the body's neck made the cops even more suspicious and as the news of the peculiar murder slowly spread around town cops from a completely different area in bangladesh are called to a completely different crime scene but one that looks remarkably similar to the first one on january 26th a week after the first body is found another male body is found but this time lying face down in paddy fields in the village of boltala situated in the agricultural district of kathalia Ashwarya, a phenomena that occurs parallel to the rise of vigilante killers is people being inspired from them. And so, before you go on, could you like explain what is the distance between these two places? I think that's an important part of figuring out how many killers Bangladesh was dealing with, whether it was one killer that was inspired by another or whether it was just one crazy Hercules. That's a good question Aran. The location of all the bodies found and yet to be found are far but not far enough to stop someone who really has a strong motive to commit these murders. The most distance is between Boltala village and Savar which is about 200 kilometers which would take about 7 hours to cover. 
it does make one wonder is this vigilante killer truly traveling 7 hours just to commit murder i'm sure there were other rape cases closer to the location he was first at why choose the second one to be so far away i guess unfortunately we don't have the answer to that coming back to the second body at around 2 pm that afternoon when people from the village are making their way to the paddy fields Little did they know that awaiting them was this dead body lying on the ground. Once cops arrive on the scene, the similarities to the recent death of Ripon could not be missed. As pointed out by Kathalia police officer in charge Inamul Haq, the body had a gunshot wound next to its eyes and a letter hanging from its neck. A letter which read, quote, "I am Sajal. I am the rapist of blank. This is my punishment." and court the cops quickly cover the crime scene up and take the body for an autopsy which revealed that sajal was shot at point blank range which made investigating officer gazi fazlur believe the killer was someone with a professional understanding of how to shoot while sajal's body is lying in the morgue a family member his uncle comes to identify it and affirms that it is indeed sajal the same sajal that had kidnapped and raped the 19 year old on her way to her grandparents home this was the first time anyone had seen sajal since the rape and he wasn't alive anymore to answer for his actions by now the similarities in the two deaths could not be avoided and people of the towns and the cops themselves knew that they possibly had a serial killer on their hands Articles about the deaths of the two men including unauthorized photographs of the notes hanging from their bodies started making the rounds of Dhaka and news spread like wildfire even in the big cities of Bangladesh while it was obvious nobody wanted a killer to run loose in the city there was an undeniable sense of satisfaction at the killing of those that had made the women in the country feel unsafe at every turn but underneath all of this commotion Everyone was waiting waiting to wake up another day and find on their TVs the news of another dead body discovered with yet another note tied to its neck and that day came it came on February 1st when villagers in the Rajapur sub district of Jalakati leave their houses for work in the wee hours of the morning when a few men notice something it looks like a human body right away Rajapur police station officer in charge M Jahidul Islam quickly arrives at the scene with his team and he cannot believe what he sees in front of him lay in front of him is the body of a young man with a gunshot wound and a placard hanging around its neck with a note in bengali the note read quote i am rakib i am the rapist of the madrasa girl of bhandaria This is the consequence of a rapist. Be very rapists. End quote. The cops quickly confirm that the body is in fact that of 20-year-old Rakib, who is also a law student, who's found 15 miles away from the body of Sajal. The autopsy report reveals that he was shot early in the morning, just a few hours before his body was discovered. So basically, three men, three rapists, accused in two separate cases. with no known link to each other who live miles apart from each other are found dead all dead in the span of a week that <laughs> that's not a coincidence 
Exactly. That is exactly what it means. Interest in the case begins to rise at an unprecedented rate with media houses pouncing at every chance to cover it. With this increasing pressure, the cops's first job is to establish a firm motive so as to start narrowing down their list of suspects. And obviously, who has better motive to kill rapists than enraged fathers of the victims who were raped? To think of the fathers in this situation is everyone's first instinct, including internet sleuths who discuss the case at length on websites like Reddit. For example, one Reddit user named the Firebird Films writes, quote, But with such vitriol against the victims, who could Hercules be? The answer here seems to present itself in a multitude of ways. Repon's alleged victim, who died just mere hours after filing a report with the police, was survived by an enraged father who formally accused Repon and his three acquaintances of killing his daughter. Such a man would have more than enough justification in the public eye to commit such an act of violence. End quote. The cops quickly act on their impulses by going and bringing the fathers of the victims to the police station and examining them on their whereabouts on the day the bodies were found. But from the get-go, there's no concrete proof to suggest that any of the fathers were involved, other than obviously the motive. But this suspicion on the fathers is about to disappear very quickly. As this Reddit user mentions, this theory goes out of the window when you hear the account of Repon's wife, Rikta. Rikta actually came forward shortly after her husband's body was found to claim that on January 11th, just a few days after Repon was accused of the garment worker's rape, several men came knocking at their door and claimed to be the detective branch of the Bangladesh police. Rikta found this extremely suspicious since they were all dressed in civilian clothing and had no batches or documentation to prove their identity. They simply picked Ripon up and took him away in their car and that was the last time anyone ever saw him alive. As mentioned by an article in Al Jazeera, this theory is actually corroborated by one of Raqib's friends and his own father, Abul Kalam, who came forward to claim that on the evening of January 25th, Rakib was sitting at a tea stall in the village of Nabingarh with his same friend just a few days after he was accused of rape. Suddenly, a black microbus stops in front of the tea stall and picks Rakib and his friend up, but eventually lets the friend go. Nobody knows what happened to Rakib after that, and nobody sees him alive after that. The next time anyone sees him is when his dead body shows up on February 1st. Kalam says, quote, I believe the police killed my son, end quote. In fact, Rakib's parents also tried to file a missing persons report after their son was picked up, but the officers allegedly rejected the request and did nothing about Rakib's disappearance. This is not the only family of the accused that comes forward. Shamsun Neher, Sajal's wife, also told Al Jazeera, quote, on the night of January 22nd, he called me and told me that he was heading towards the port city of Chittagong. That was the last call. There was no trace of him until January 26th when we found his body near our village. End quote. See, this is the problem with something like vigilantism. It seems nice, it seems right to seek justice be done in the manner. But the fact of the matter is we cannot leave it up to random civilians to pick people up from tea stalls and bring rapists to justice. 
in this case not once have we questioned whether or not these men were really the rapists in any sort of liberal structure there is the presumption of innocence before declaring somebody guilty what if they were not it is the system's job to determine who has committed a crime and who hasn't albeit the system is skewed and biased it would be a sad day for society when we began to hail and celebrate vigilante killers especially because we ourselves could be accused of something that we haven't actually done i completely agree with you on this aryan as someone who wants to be a lawyer the idea that any random person can enforce the law is scary to me and i think it should be to each and every one of us regardless of what we want to do in our lives a vigilante killer is not a hero to me it's a normal human perhaps with the right intentions and justifiably sick of circumstances in their country but that to me is no excuse they are very much still a murderer we get people all the time requesting us to co- cover political cases and you know cases that have a religious bent to it imagine if somebody is offended by one of those episodes and decides that you know um, they have the right to harm us in some way if not killing the idea that they can bring us to justice in their own mind by getting a band of people together is still what vigilantism is it doesn't right. end in killing but it's still that sort of mob mentality and mob law which is why it's wrong it could be any one of us precisely which is why i feel like there is no reason to hail and celebrate a vigilante killer yep. and there was a wave of celebration for him in bangladesh which i think at the core of it is is really sad that we pushed society to a point where that's mm, who we were the hailing. pendulum has swung so right. far right You all, it's now been two years since the last killing by the vigilante killer. It seems like the spree has stopped after three murders. While videos and blog posts across the internet glorify the vigilante killer and hail him as a hero, I think most people would agree this is not how they want justice to be carried out. They want their criminals to be tried fairly and justly because in a society where they are not, even the innocent are constantly in danger. Hmm. I'm sure it's clear to you by now that there are two schools of thought regarding this case. One believes that it was the fathers of the rape victims who committed the crime. Obviously, it's impossible for both fathers to coordinate and kill these three men, and thus I think if this is true, it's only one of the two that could have done it. If you believe this theory, you have to acknowledge that it cannot be the father of the girl raped while she was going to her grandparents' house since she was raped on the 14th and the first body of Repon appeared on the 17th, just 3 days later. I find it hard to believe that this girl's father, just 3 days after his daughter was raped, went ahead and killed two men accused in a completely separate rape case. If at all one of the fathers did it, it would have to be the father of the 14-year-old garment worker. This would explain the timing of the deaths and also explain why Repon's body was the first to show up since he was accused in this specific case. The other theory and possibly the more plausible one is that the police officers sick of the rise of crime and rape in their jurisdiction took matters into their own hands and That's ended up killing these three men. This would make sense because while the police in these areas would be witnessing rampant rapes they would be unable to do anything about it mm. due to a very slow judicial process and poor families incapable of fighting long drawn court cases leaving rapists free to roam the streets 
Understandably, this must cause a lot of frustration among righteous cops who want to keep the women within their jurisdictions safe. That just gave me a flashback to like Uttar Punjab because right. that sort of the righteous cop. The righteous yeah. cop rises. There might also be a third school of thought, though, one that thinks that it's just a random citizen, a male, angered by the state of affairs in his country, wanting to take matters into his own hands. But honestly, all all three of these stories leave big, gaping questions that have still not been answered. If the cops truly did kill these men, why leave notes hanging from their necks? Would it not be a safer option for them to just kill the men and hide their bodies instead of making a display out of them to prove a point? If the cops did it and got away with it, why did they stop now? Why didn't they just frame someone else in the crime since that would make it so easy for them to get away with it? If the fathers did it, where is the evidence? Did these enraged fathers truly commit the perfect murder? We don't know and neither does Bangladesh police. But this case is not closed. Maybe the cops will stumble upon new evidence which reveals who the killer truly was. Or maybe new evidence by human rights activists will reveal the cops to be the true mastermind behind the serial killings. Maybe Hercules is not done yet and is still lurking in the corners of Bangladesh, waiting for his next victim. A crime that many believe would only make Bangladesh a better place. But till Hercules rises again, and till Bangladesh turns a new page in its judicial record, we're signing out. Till then, stay crazy, stay desi.